Am I on? Is this on? All right. Usually there's more echo and feedback that distracts me. So, All right. Good morning. And Happy New Year. We are uh, going to begin a series this morning on the one and others. And so if you would turn in your Bible to John chapter 13. While you're turning there, you know, just some of my uh, philosophizing, but New Year's is an interesting time, you know, because as a Christian, I'm really not a big fan of the whole New Year's resolution thing, you know. To me, every day is a new new resolution day. Like, Lord, just help me live for you today. Um, but get me through today, you know. That's that's my prayer. If, if, if I have something going on in my life that really needs to be addressed, that I'm going to commit to a New Year's resolution, maybe I need to address it now, not wait for New Year's, right? That's, that's kind of the, the way we want to look at that kind of stuff. Um, but also in tying into that kind of thinking, though, uh, we're kicking off this series on the one another's. We're going to do about 11 weeks of one another's messages, where today we're going to start off with love, love one another, and I'll explain that. Um, we're going to do forgive one another and bear one another's burdens and pray for one another and um, admonish one another, exhort one another. I can't remember all 11 off the top of my head, but we're going to spend about 11 weeks looking at the one another's uh, in the Bible. And the reason why we're doing that is in conjunction with our kicking off that we just did before the holidays of our care groups. We are, the elders' you know, passion right now for Brantford, among many other things, is to really get fellowship tighter, to get more care going on, more love going on, more intimacy amongst one another. And so we've started these small care groups so we can spend time with one another. Um, it would be wonderful if everybody that was here, even those who aren't, would come to a midweek meeting like this and we all met. But it would be really hard to get intimate with one another, wouldn't it? I mean, you just... We click off in our little clicks or little groups, but it'd be really hard to get intimate. So in small groups, we get to really talk about what's going on in our lives, share our burdens, our, our pressures, um, our praises, our joys, all those kind of things, and, and really strengthen the bond here. And as we do that, we strengthen Brantford Bible Chapel uh, as the body of Christ. So that's what we're doing. So, so think about that as we're going through these, these one another's that we really are looking to uh, strengthen the body and, and the love for one another. Um, so we're going to tie this together. So in John chapter 13, I will actually turn there too. It'll be easier. So we're kicking off with love one another. And um, that momentary pause you heard a second ago was me actually trying to remember this thought. The, uh, the love one another is actually going to be kind of hard for me when it comes to the application time. Because all the one another's that we're going to do for the next 11 weeks are actually the applications of love one another. So for me to pull out practical applications is kind of hard. That's what we're going to do for the next 11 weeks. But we're going to talk this morning about what love one another means as Christ defines it here in John 13. Um, and this is going to be like the umbrella for all the one another. So everything that we're going to do and learn about when it comes to relating with one another and caring for one another is going to be under this concept, this you know, overreaching, I like to use the word umbrella, uh, that Christ gives us. So in John 13 and verse 34, Christ says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Lord our God, we thank you again for the time that you have given us to spend in your word together as a body of believers. Thank you for the truth that we can rely on and depend upon. And I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us the truth in your word from this thought from your son. And may we 
uh, desire this and crave this and uh, enjoy this and uh, bless this time now uh, as you reveal your word to us. And we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, who has made uh, the word flesh. Uh, So we thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple thoughts here before we kick off. I have to get centered. Sorry. It's distracting me. I'm not in the middle. So (laughs) I'm not OCD or anything, but the first thing Jesus says, it's it's a new commandment. That's a real interesting thought from the Lord because didn't Jesus come to fulfill the law? So why would he give us a new one, right? He completes it, and now we live under grace. We live under grace, not under law. Well, it's this idea that in Christ, we are new creation. And so we have to understand what God meant by love from the very beginning that man never got. So Jesus defines it as a new commandment, but really it's a new way to live for us because man could never love this way. If man fulfilled every commandment, he would never love the way Christ is commanding us to love through this passage because Christ tells us to love as he loves us. People never understood that before. Every commandment would never lay that out in the same way. You know, most of the commandments, especially uh, in the Ten Commandments, there are a lot of don'ts, right? Don't do this and don't do that. Don't lie, don't steal. The big one, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. All these things are don'ts, right? So don't hurt one another. Don't harm one another is what the law typically says. Don't take what's not yours. Respect other people. What Jesus is saying, the reason it's a new commandment in Christ, for those who are in Christ, is he's talking about love as I have loved. He loved by sacrificing himself. He loved by laying down his life. He loved by going to the cross for us. He loved by not expecting anything from us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it as we just sang. I didn't realize that my brain was automatically starting to recite the words. It just rolls off the tongue, right? That's a new commandment. That wasn't in the old commandment. The old commandment was don't mess with other people and everybody will get along just fine. It's a new commandment in Christ. And it has to be a new commandment in Christ because it can only be done in Christ. People can try as they might. And we know we try real hard. And part of the reason why we're looking at this is just to understand what actually love one another means in Christ actually means. So he's given us a commandment to love, but it has to be in Christ. We cannot do it without him. And there's also a result from this that we have to actually really seriously consider and take to heart. Because we are called to make disciples, aren't we? Isn't that the Great Commission, go out and make disciples of all the nations? And what does Jesus tell us in this? They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. Not how often you go to church, not what jewelry you wear, what cool t-shirts with funny sayings you have, you know. My, my son has a t-shirt that says bacon, another reason I, I know God loves me, right? Um, so so all, that, all that kind of stuff is, is wonderful. We can say nice things, we can give charity, but really, think about this. Jesus himself is pointing out to us that they are going to know that we are his by how we love one another. Inside this room, they're going to know that we are his disciples. Isn't that what we want? We want our word to have some meaning. When we say Jesus Christ died for you and loves you, they want to look at us and see the example of that love. They're going to test us. And you know what? Maybe back then, not so much, but I can tell you that today, even non-believers know what to look for. They know what to expect. I'm not just talking about 
There's a whole other concept, and I can't get into it in this message, because this message is about loving one another. So certainly loving the world and the lost is part of the love of Christ. And I'm not trying to minimize that or say it's not important, but we're only focusing today in the context of this thought, of loving one another, because that's what Jesus says. They will know you are mine if you love one another. But as he loved, not how I want to love, right? Jesus' love doesn't rely upon convenience. Jesus' love doesn't rely upon opportunity. It's, it has to be done. Jesus didn't um, wait for us to ask to go to the cross. He didn't, he didn't, no one asked him to go. In fact, the disciples even said, forbid it, Lord, right? And he said, get behind me, Satan. I have to do this. It's a pretty big concept. Turn with me to Romans 8 real quick, please. Romans 8, please. Romans 8. My mouth is so dry today. Romans 8, we'll just read the first couple of verses, beginning in verse 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So really, I just want to get off on our start of really realizing this thing in verse 3. What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by his Son. So by what Christ commands us to do, to love as he loves, it's in him. It cannot be based on any law. It cannot be based on any law. It has to be based solely on our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only place it can come from. It's the only place it can be sustained. It's the only way it can be accomplished. So if we're going to talk about loving one another, where do you think we're going to go? Give me a guess. First. No, 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 no. First John 4, come on, kill me. Now, we spent a lot of time in 1 John. That's why I'm not going to torture you with revisiting the entire three months or whatever we spent on 1 John. Or how, John, how long was that series? you remember? It was too long, yeah. It's the Word of God you're talking about. Be careful. The, um, so in 1 John, I just want to revisit this, though, from, from a get the, get the perspective now. Now, keep in mind, this is the same author, right? Gospel of John and 1 John. Beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and send his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. I am not going to go through all of that again um, because we, we spent time on it, but I really encourage you to spend time in, the, in that chapter and verse if you really want to grow in your relationship with Christ on this. The whole point is that if we know God, if we claim to know God, then we should love as he loved us. That's basically what First John is telling us. Now look at verse 7. Uh, yeah, verse 7. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. John is not talking about the intellectual knowledge of facts about God. He's not talking about how many books are in the Bible and how many authors there are. He's not talking about all the names of God. He's not talking about all these things. He's talking about the relationship with God. Right? I know some of you. I know about you. But I know my wife. Our relationship is so close and tight that I know her. I understand her. I know what she's thinking. I know when I'm going to get it before I get it. You know what I mean? I know when it's coming. I still get it, but I know when it's coming. That's the kind of knowledge that John's talking about. He's talking about if we share in the love that God has for us with others, then we get to know God more intimately. Isn't that an inspiring thought to want to love others in the body? Isn't that an inspiring thought? Get, you get to close in your relationship with God himself who knows you intimately, but now you get to know him when we share in his kind of love, when we do what he calls us to do, when we do it the way he does it, sacrificially, not in convenience, but when there's a need, we meet the need. We go above and beyond. So we're commanded to love, and we get to know God more intimately when we share in this kind of love. If you would please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to switch now into what I'm calling the passion to love. The passion to love. In verse 22, Peter writes this. And if you know the whole introduction of the letter, he talks about how we are saved by Christ as a lamb without blemish. He, he indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world. And we through, through him who believe in God raised him from the dead. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, clarify, so there's no misunderstanding. I don't want anyone to have the wrong thought here. When he talks about, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, we are not talking about salvation. Right? Salvation does not come by works. He's talking about, now that you're saved... You've cleaned yourself up by obeying God's word and doing what he commands you to do. There's a process that we go through in obedience that is part of our relationship. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's awfully dry here. Right? So we are saved solely through the blood of Christ. Our relationship with God is solely based on what Christ has done. Once that relationship begins now, he tells us that our souls get purified by obeying the truth through the Spirit. 
We clean up the muck. Now, again, I know this is complicated and, and tricky, you know, contradictory stuff. Only Christ cleans us in the point of being salvation. But we've got to get rid of the old junk that holds us back. The old habits, the old behaviors, basically self-centeredness. Self-centeredness, that's really what it's about. We think about ourselves more than others. Because Peter describes right here, in sincere love of the brethren. Sincere love. They're really trying hard to love one another. They really intend purposely to love one another. And and this, this point I'm making is right in the middle here. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. So that's sandwiched between having been born again, don't worry about the order of 22 and 23. That's not really his, his point. It's having been born again, and then we purify our souls by obeying the truth, by loving each other sincerely. But he takes it a step further, and he says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Fervently. Passionately. Passionately. You know, Christ loved us fervently when he went to the cross, right? There was nothing that could interrupt his purpose. Fervently means you don't give in, you don't give up, nothing can distract you. It's, it's an aggressiveness in accomplishing something. You know, I was thinking, uh, obviously, uh, there's, there's no one that compares to Christ when it comes to fervent love, you know. Um, but it made me think of those, you know, sometimes we see people who are um, great artists, uh, musicians, athletes, architect, whatever, someone who's above and beyond everybody else. We see the great ones, right? You know, there's, there's only so many people in the Hall of Fame. Um, there's only so many people who really, you know, everyone knows their music. They're the best. They're the best. We say, man, that person had God-given talent. It was amazing what they did with it. But what we have to understand is those people took their God-given talent and then drove themselves to perfection and were never satisfied. That's how they got great. It wasn't just because God gave them the ability to run fast. It wasn't because God gave them the ability to understand music. They had a certain analytical mind that could write and compose, and so they just wrote the greatest works ever. It's because they took that, and then they worked diligently till they, through sweat and through blisters and blood and breakdowns and injuries and whatever happened to them through what they're doing. They didn't give in. That's being fervent in what you're doing. That is how Peter is telling us to love one another. With the inability to give up, with the passion that says, I must get this done. When Isaac saw Rachel and he fell in love with her, he had to work seven years for her. And then his father-in-law tricked him and he got him to marry her sister, right? Leah. So what did Isaac do? He worked seven more years for Rachel, didn't he? That's a fervent love. That's 14 years Working, working, not waiting, working for the person you love. That's a fervent love. And he tells us to do it pure, with a pure heart, a clean heart, a heart that has no self-serving motives. Its sole purpose is for the object of the love, not its own gain. That's a pure heart. We have to passionately pursue, fervently, loving one another. It takes effort. It does. I'm not talking about the easy love. 
I'm not talking about the, hey, hey, we're getting along fine and everything is great, so this is just really easy. We're talking about hard love, right? Loving someone like me. It's not easy. I'm not blind, I know. You put up with me. I'm not oblivious. What? Okay, yeah. says Fred. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, brother, I love you. The, uh, uh, but I just want us to really have the mindset that the Scripture talks about when we're talking about Christ-like love for one another, that it's, again, I'm going to keep using the words over and over again because it's so important to, to grasp this and drill it in. It's not about convenience, and it's not about when it's easy. It's about when it's hard. It's when it's difficult, when it costs us, when, when we have to go out when we really don't want to go out. i got my jammies on. I don't want to go out. I've curled in for the night. I don't want to answer the phone, right? I had other plans today. Maybe I'll do it another time. That's when we really love. That's when we really love. Can you help me out? Yeah, I can come two weeks from now. But I need you now. I need you now. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. Beginning in verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 1. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, but which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Several times in the scripture we get these progressions of thought, right? If you do this, then you'll get that, and if you do that, you'll get this. And a lot of the different authors do it. It's not the theme of of one author. It's it's the theme of the Holy Spirit to make us realize that you're not just going to jump in here and really love like Christ. You may want to, but you don't have the skill set. And Peter kind of lays out for us this process. Add to your faith, you've got to start with faith, virtue, right? The way we conduct ourselves, living a clean life, being uh, one who is uh, upheld as being good. And then we move on to knowledge and understanding. And then self-control. It's really hard to be available and to love others when you're being kind of selfish and indulging in things that maybe we shouldn't be indulging in, and those things take up our time. That self-control leads to perseverance, the ability to push through and get things done until they're done. That then brings us into godliness, the, be, the, the godlike behavior of righteousness and acting uh, like the one who can show the character of God. That will then lead us into brotherly kindness, And then that's going to lead us into Christ-like love. That's the optimum goal. So we have to work these things through in our lives. But look what he says in verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from old sins. 
that's kind of what leads us back into failing to love one another, is we fall back into our kind of self-centered nature and behavior and priorities, and we forget, actually, that we were saved. Not literally, but we kind of, in our minds, we kind of forget what Christ has done for us. Right? I mean, that's kind of what happens. That's why we have to stay on top of our relationship with Christ and constantly showing gratitude. We are, don't, don't be so hard on just the Jews. We are stubborn, forgetful people too. We are. And if we don't regularly and consistently lay ourselves before the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done and remember exactly what he did and went through for us, we will forget. We won't forget our salvation. We won't forget his hit. we are his. But the heart begins to roll back. We, we very easily roll back into that kind of self-centered nature um, and we, we kind of forget uh, what we're supposed to do. First Thessalonians chapter 4, please. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love that you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Okay? And indeed you do, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. We, you increase more and more. So the fervent, pure heart is never satisfied with how much it has given in love. It is never satisfied. We should never reach a place of complacency. I've done enough. Because we haven't. Because there's always need. There's always need. And it's interesting that he says increase more and more. It doesn't say keep pushing on, keep getting it done, hang in there, but increase more and more. The double more tells us that it has to expound, to superabound really to increase to the place where there's excess left over. So let's love each other until we can't stand it anymore. Just like, stop loving me so much, I can't take it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Romans 13, please. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Paul's actually laying out love as an obligation, almost like a debt. I owe it to you to love you. I'm indebted. I'm indebted to Christ. Right? But Christ says, don't pay me back. Pay it back by by loving them. So I'm burdened. I am burdened by obligation to love. It's a debt. And it's one we can never fulfill. How can we ever pay back what Christ has done for us? Can't pay him back, right? There's that, there's that cute little saying, pay it forward. 
you know, do something nice for someone else and keep passing it on. This is so much greater than that. This is so much greater than that. This is the continual obligation knowing that I, I have not forgotten what God has done for me. In my gratitude, I'm going to give all the love he's given me and, and everything that I have to others in the body of Christ. Some of the hindrances to love. Certainly there's self-centeredness, right? We think about ourselves, our own needs. Christ never did. Christ never did. Some of our differences make it hard to love. Right? I mean, let's, let's be real. Right? We're, we're part of the body of Christ. We'll be honest with each other. Some of us are easier to love. Some of us are not. Right? It's a, it's a challenge, and sometimes it makes it hard. So we want to go, we're like water. We want to go the easiest path. Right? This is the easy way, so I'm going to, I'm going to go this way because it works out for me conveniently. Christ didn't do that. Christ went the hard road. Christ went the road to Calvary. Christ carried his cross up to Gethsemane. Who am I to take the easy road because it's convenient for me? And let me add this, um, just as a thought to consider. Christ also tells us to love our enemies, right? Pray for those who persecute you. Let us never use the word enemy when we're talking about another believer in the body of Jesus Christ. We can have differences. Hey, there's church splits that happen in history because people just can't get along. It gets nasty. We are never to consider one another, regardless of how we feel, as an enemy. That's a completely different problem. Please do not put that upon your heart because once those kinds of thoughts get in, they feed the evil that, are, that are, the Holy Spirit is fighting against in our flesh. And you get those concepts in your mind and it starts affecting your attitude. Once you can start using the word like enemy or hate towards another believer in Jesus Christ, it really hurts the body. So we can have differences, we can have problems. Sometimes we just got to like, you know what? You go that way, I'll go that way. Maybe it's just, it's best until God brings us together and we resolve the problem, whatever the case may be. But don't ever let that kind of scripture or that kind of thought apply to your heart because it should not be for us. Another hindrance uh, is our wounds, right? Sometimes we've been hurt. We've, we've stepped out and been hurt. So I don't want to do that again. You know, sometimes we've needed to be loved and we haven't. And so I'm not going to trust anymore. We have to put it upon ourselves to love as Christ loved us. So if I've stepped out in love and been hurt, what do you think Jesus went through? The people he came to save mocked him and spat on him and punched him in the face. And I'm going to whine and cry because somebody hurt my feelings? You know, I tried to love them and they weren't nice to me? Come on. Fervently, with a pure heart, love one another. Have you needed love and someone didn't come through? Forgive them. We'll talk about forgiveness later. You know, there's, there's, these, there's these sayings, and uh, you know, when, you're, when you're struggling with something, the, 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 the expression, the advice is to go do it yourself. So if you've struggled with being loved, you've been hurt, someone hasn't come through and you depended upon them, the cure is to love. Not withdraw, not hide, not close up. The cure is to go find someone and love them with all you have. 
Love them with all you have, like Christ loved you. And you'll get over that hurt. You will get over that hurt. You'll be healed in Christ. Here's my demon, procrastination. Totally transparent, confess. Procrastination keeps me up at night. I should have called today. I should have done this today. Um, and and it's just, it, it just torments me. It, it's brutal. Um, the way to get over procrastination, and I need my wife to not listen for a minute because she's going to hold me accountable to this, is make a plan, right? If you really want to go out and love others, make a plan. Make a schedule. Put time on your schedule in your life. Tuesday nights, I'm going to go find someone to love. Something like that. Saturday mornings from 9 to 11, I'm going to go do something. Put it into your life as a plan, and you'll get over the procrastination. Right? Because I always kind of convince myself I can do it tomorrow. Right? This is my buddy, I have a, I have a, a mug that I got when we watched Washington, D.C. You know, Abe, Abe Lincoln is one of my um, people that I, that I look up to. And um, it, it says, never put off. So tomorrow, what can be done today, right? That's Abe Lincoln's, I think it's Abe Lincoln's uh, saying. And um, I always turn the mug the other way, so I don't see that. But the, you know, the, that, that's the truth, though. If we really want to love like Christ loved us, and you're struggling with getting it done because you just keep procrastinating, make a change in your life. At least write it down, make a plan. Put it in your, in your calendar into your life. All right, so we're talking about love. Where do we got to go as we try and wrap this up? Where are we going to go? Come on, give me a verse. Give me a verse. We're love. First, First Corinthians 13. Come on, guys. You're killing me. First Corinthians 13. We are not going to go through all of First Corinthians 13 because we know it so well. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard First Corinthians 13. If you've been through marital counseling, you've heard First Corinthians 13. If you've tried to do anything that regards a relationship, you've been through First Corinthians 13. The reason why we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 as we're thinking about loving one another in the church is I want us to realize this. Where does 1 Corinthians 13 fit in the Bible? It's in a passage, a section of Scripture, where Paul has been writing several chapters. Of course, he didn't use chapters. We threw that in to, to help our, our finite minds. It's about the church. That whole section of 1 Corinthians that 1 Corinthians 13 falls right in the middle of, is all about the church. He talks about the Lord's Supper, not, not partaking in an unworthy manner. He talks about men don't cover your heads, women cover your heads. He talks about prophecy, um, um, prayer, speaking in tongues. All these things are in this section of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And then right in the middle of that boom, he drops... The, big, the beautiful chapter on love. It's in the section of the Bible about the church. So I don't want to ruin weddings for anybody going forward. I want you to be like, well, this is not where it's supposed to be used. It's, love is love, and so it's a beautiful thing. But keep in mind that when you, when you think about this, Paul wrote this to the church because they were more desiring other things. Their preference wasn't love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. God help me if anything I say this morning is not done in love. I'm just a clanging cymbal right now. If I don't have love for you right now, that we all grow in Christ, this is just noise. Anything anyone says, 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That's about the church. And then you can read through yourselves the rest of 1 Corinthians 13. I'll do it, only take a second. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's to the church. Brothers and sisters, that's to the church. We've got to live that out right here. Right here we need to live that out. You know, I had a thought when I was studying this and meditating this. I'm going to kind of jump more to the end because it's time to wrap up. Um, you know, and it's true. I, don't, I want to contradict Scripture. Loving in a Christ-like way requires sacrifice. Because that's what Christ did. Christ sacrificed himself by going to the cross and paying our debt so that all who believe in him have eternal life. It was a tremendous sacrifice. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or fought for or held on to, but he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Maybe for us, it's easier to not maybe look so much as a sacrifice because then it puts the, the mental thought of a burden. But it's a privilege to share in the work of Jesus Christ with one another. It's a privilege. When I put the word sacrifice on top of it, my mind tends to think it's a burden. I've got to make a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. I'm not trying to take that away. But maybe if we change the way we think about it, it won't be so hard to do what has to be done when it needs to be done at the cost to ourselves. Let's look at it as a privilege. It's a privilege. We're going to close with Romans 8, please. Romans 8. Go to the end of the chapter. Verse 38 of Romans 8. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, right, beyond measure, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's let that sink in for a second. And now we've got to love each other as Christ loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love we have for one another in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. I'm going to close this message in prayer, and then we'll get started on corporate prayer. Lord our God, thank you again. Thank you, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Upon the cross we have found certainly where mercy and justice have met, but it is where the full expression of the love of God has been shown to the world. You put him up high so everyone could see that this man is God who offered himself for all who would come. Father, we thank you so much for what he accomplished. We do so with understanding of his sacrifice and his pain and his suffering. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Lord God, as he commands us to love one another now, as he has loved us, maybe with joy, be willing to bear the sacrifice and anything that you require of us to meet this need. For your glory and for your namesake, because we want this world to know that we are your disciples. We want this community to know that we are yours. Lord, forgive us when we stumble. Help us to forgive one another. Lord, we pray for the strength and bond and unity in the body of Christ here. Be exalted and glorified with everything you do. And we thank you for your love. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to spend 15 minutes in corporate prayer. There's going to be some uh, suggestions on the wall. Um, Time is to pray for Brantford Bible Chapel. And... uh